0: hello and welcome to episode 177 of the fuel hotel marketing podcast i'm your host stuart butler joined today with pete d mayo hello everybody
1: and welcome back
0: and phil forrest welcome back all you honorary fuel agains and Melissa Cabana. How you? I don't know why I drew out your names. Figured people might pay attention to them. You know, because if we just do it the same every week, they just skip over it. They don't pay yeah, attention. Yeah, I
1: kept waiting you to skip type response, but I didn't have one ready.
0: In the red corner, weighing <laughs> in at four hundred and seventy pounds, Pete Demille.
2: Can I make a podcast confession? Sure. You know how we've said that people don't really remember our names?
0: hmm
2: Well, I listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to stuff you should know every day, and I don't know the two guys' names. I have no idea what their names are.
1: Josh and Chuck? You don't remember yeah, Josh and Chuck? Yeah, and Chuck. I, 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 yeah, I,
2: and I know there's some guy out there, like the sound engineer guy who's out there. I, I never remember their names. Or who's who when they speak.
0: Oh, uh, you gotta know Chosh and Juck because they're easy to remember, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, easy to yeah, we hey, we don't take offense when people don't know our names. It's fine. We just care that they get value out of the content. That's really why we're doing this. So it's not There's for fame. It's, out out not, it's not for the money. Yeah. So today's episode is going to be packed full of va- value. We're going to be talking about something really important. Every single person listening to this. Was going to get something out of it, and um, I know this for a fact because I came across a really interesting stat the other day. Pete, do you do you happen to have the stat of the week? That was not. I'm pretty sure that's not it. No, that was not it. Um, what happened to the bee boots, man? I don't
1: know. I think uh, the re- I, I got to find it again. I think that was the wrong one.
0: Clearly, All right. just do it with your mouth. instead.
1: All
0: right. So, 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 Melissa, have you ever had the question, being our resident analyst, have you ever had the question, what, what's a good conversion rate, or what, what's the average conversion rate in the industry, or what should my conversion rate be? Have you ever had one of those questions?
2: I've had all three of those questions many, 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 many times.
0: And, and what, what is often your your emotional state immediately after hearing that kind of a question?
2: My buttons
0: start burning. They do. What about the, your goats? Are your goats in into-
2: Um Yes. There
0: too. Yes. They're getting they're getting gotten. Yeah, they're might getting
2: gotten.
0: See the problem? that's the problem, right? People focus on averages. They do it with email too, like how often should I send an email? You know, what should my open rate be of my emails? And and really the stat that is hundred percent true in every case is it can be better and it should be better and you should be working towards improving it. So whatever your conversion rate now, whether you're, you know, at 0.1% conversion rate or whether you're at 20% conversion rate, it can be better than it is with a little bit of effort. And that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how to improve the conversion rate of your website and when we here talk about the conversion rate of the website, we're really talking about the overall conversion rate of people that come to your site and eventually book. Um, And and that could be over the phone or online, doesn't really matter, but we're talking about a conversion of someone actually handing you money compared to the number of people that are coming and finding your brand online as well. So we're going to be talking about some tactical ways you can improve that in in just the philosophy about how you should approach that as well. And Phil, you put this together, I know it's going to be accompanied by an amazing extensive blog article, We'll, we'll kind of do the Cliff Notes version today, but thank you for putting the notes together, Phil. No
3: problem. I feel like this is is pretty important, and our listeners get to take away some actionable items to try on their own hotel's website. This
0: is very, very true. we like we like the episodes that have tangible tactics, actionable items for sure. But before we jump into the topic, ladies and gentlemen, this this is a rarity, but we we've got another duo of newsaroos this week. so I, I think we probably may need to change the name of this segment to the twosaroos because we're having two most oh. weeks these days
1: what what with hotel marketing that cannot lose now is time for twosaroos <laughs>
0: wow, your creativity is unbelievable pete how did you come up with that so fast i don't amazing. know amazing amazing so so we do have a couple of newsaroos this week so melissa you want to kick us off
2: yes my newsaroo is quite literally barking up the right tree
0: I see what you did there.
2: (laughs) This is a roo was found on PR Newswire, and it is that Wyndham Hotels and Resorts joins with Rover to make pet-friendly travel easier for new pet parents. I am super excited about this. If anybody listened to the episode about me and my last trip with my dog, you will fully understand why I'm excited about this. So Wyndham is partnering with Rover and with and their uh, hotel, their pet-friendly hotels, to help travelers who travel with their four-legged friends have a better experience while they're away. For somebody like me who follows the rules that says you're not allowed to leave your pet abandoned in your hotel room unsupervised, (laughs) I know a lot of people break these rules, but I'm not one of them sometimes it can be a little hard to do things outside the hotel that are not pet friendly you know like eat inside a restaurant for example sometimes you just want to go and sit inside a restaurant and you need a couple of hours and maybe somebody to watch your pet for you and rover will do that so it's super exciting good for Wyndham for partnering with them that's what that's what i say
3: it's a smart partnership i mean it from Wyndham's perspective it kind of eliminates that problem of people leaving their, their pets in the room. Well, that's what I was thinking it's as well. An, another and, option.
1: That's what I was thinking as well. It's a, it's a great way for Wyndham to address the needs of their guests without having to invest the infrastructure to do so. I mean, that's, it's a perfect example of I don't want a pet destroying my room or you know being a health hazard, and this is a great way to make it happen.
0: We're have annoying for, for, every for, other guest in there. Oh, yes. man, we've all had that, right, where the dog in the next rooms barking all day. It's crazy. If it were my dog, the whole damn hotel would hear it. He's <laughs> it's quite loud. We we've been talking about this for for a long time, especially during the pandemic. Now more than ever, count it. It's the first one. <laughs> uh, we, it's important to to find partnerships and, and to create you know, through synergies like that, create some value that you wouldn't be able to. And this is great. I mean, there's there's no hard cost associated with it. This is just, hey, two different complementary services that can appeal to the same consumer and can, you know, the sum of the the parts is greater than, what am I trying to say? What is it they say? The sum of the
1: parts is greater than the whole.
0: Yeah, there you go. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. No, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. It's the other way around. Yeah, there you go. So in, in this case, uh, you know, you could you could do something locally, you know, with a, with a similar company or look for other opportunities. What is it your guests need? What are the problems that have been created? I would say that people likely are going to want to travel with their pets more after COVID than they did b- before COVID. One, because a lot of people invested in pets through COVID because it was a way they, to help them cope. But I think, you know, the fact that people have been spending so much time with their pets, they've been relying on their pets for m- emotional support. This this is a category that is likely gonna be growing. So this is really capitalizing on that opportunity. Hats off to Wyndham. I think it's brilliant. It
2: was already growing before the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. now it's gonna be gangbusters.
0: Yeah, and I I, I mean I will never stay in a, a, a hotel that is geared towards pets. I just it, it's not my forte. But there's ample people that will. And so it's not you know it's not that you everyone has to lean into pet friendly but if it is something you're already doing you need to lean in really really hard this is, this needs to be a differentiator and as Tim Peter often says differentiator is not just how you're different but it's its difference that people are willing to pay for and this is something people would will be willing to pay for Good one Melissa I'm excited and, and can I just say for for some of our listeners out there uh, when you say four-legged friends, that that's that's not inclusive because some some of those mutts out there may have had situations where they lost <laughs> one of their legs. So
2: I, I that, traveled with one that was three mm-hmm. legs, so I yeah. should know better. You're or right.
0: Two. Yeah. So so some not, and some. I mean, maybe there's there's pets out there with no legs. Someone might want to take their snail or their slug on <sighs> vacation with them. So let, let's not be legist, shall they, we?
2: They they don't bark. Sure. You. They don't make a lot of noise when they're
0: left alone. This is true.
3: I, I don't think the hotel would notice if you left your snack on the tenant.
0: <laughs> Depends where you left it, I guess. <laughs> Alrighty, right, let's move on. What's, what's the second one? Oh, uh, trigger warning here to everyone. I think this this is going to burn some people's buttons, I think. It's, yes. already, it's already burned Phil's significantly. So he's going to get on his plinth right now. My
3: buttons have been on Buyer, since I found out about this yesterday, Google uh, is kind of rolling up their broad match modified keywords into their phrase phrase match keywords, which effectively eliminates phrase match. Um, so essentially, what they're doing is telling you, we don't care what keywords you're running on; we're going to decide where your ads go, and you're going to give us money um it's it's stirred up uh, a lot of vitriol within the PPC community if you if you just search the hashtag PPC chat uh, I'm sure people are still fired up about it um, it's it's inevitably gonna end up wasting money for for our clients you know Google we talked about this recently Google uh, recently took away our visibility into the search terms report, which is where you actually find out what keywords are triggering your ads, what what whole queries are triggering your ads. We're losing seventy percent of the visibility we had into that system. And then they then they come in here and then they get rid of a broad match modified and basically cheapen phrase matches as much as they possibly can. For example hey, and yeah.
1: I'm confused. What is broad match modified and
3: why does that matter sorry so broad match modified is essentially you get to put a little plus in front of all the all the keywords that uh are in a phrase so say it was the the example here in the search engine land article we're linking to um if it used to be you know holidays in Zambia and that was the you know didn't you'd have a plus in front of each of those. That means if somebody searched anything that happened to include all three of those words, your broad match modified keyword may trigger that. Now, since that's going the way, you'd have to rely on phrase. Phrase match means it has to contain the in whole exactly how you wrote it. So if it was holidays in Zambia, those three words would have to fall exactly in line and then it could trigger your ad. Now, Google's just saying, you know, we can throw something else in there. Um, if somebody searched holiday spots in Zambia, uh, it would trigger ad. the The next one is even more egregious, in my opinion. If you wrote, if you were you know your first match was uh, you know long sleeve dress, now it could serve for long sleeve lace dress, which may not be the the thing that you're trying to run for. I think I think the point of this is they they've taken away our visibility into the search terms. Now they're adding stuff into phrase match and we're inevitably be, inevitably going to be paying for queries that we don't intend to within phrase match which should be a pretty refined keyword set and it's just no longer going to be that way. So stay on top of your negative keywords everybody or you will be wasting money.
0: Well, so let's play devil's advocate, right? Let's have a let's have a balanced discussion about this. So Google's argument is that people are already wasting money because they're not anticipating certain um, situations that arise, and they give some examples in their in their release where they talk about it, where um, you know the context of the query uh, isn't the same as your your intent to display in, some, in front of someone. So, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't have those examples. But their, their claim is that this is better for matching now.
3: It's better for their pocketbooks.
0: Well, so if, if you if you draw a line of the dots that have happened over the last two or three or four or five or six years, and, and you extrapolate them out, that there's a there's a consistent theme here where Google is essentially asserting that the data they have is smarter than you are, right? That, that whether you're looking at the BERT rollout to understand the semantics of. The, the context of the query, whether you're looking at how they can you can use their own algorithm to automatically place uh, and automatically create ads. We're, we're rapidly getting to a world where you're going to be limiting what you can do. And ultimately, Google is going to be determining how much you, you're going to spend. You tell them that, and they're going to be figuring out everything else. They're going to be figuring out um, who the audience is, what keywords to display in, how much to bid what ad copy, what landing page, or maybe even there's not a landing page because Google's going to handle the transaction. And that's that's the, the world we're heading towards. And anyone that doesn't think that's the way, then you, you your head is in the sand because everything they're doing is is going that way. And ultimately, they're doing it because they want more of the pie. They want to control more of your source of revenue. They want to control. They want to be what Expedia has been to hotels. Right? They want to be that for every industry they want to be where you generate business. And and you don't think about it, you just cut a check to Google and it magically happens. That's that's their ultimate goal. So, well, I think right, the
1: Leon- is they're going after the least common denominator.
0: If sure. you're
1: basically managing a a PPC campaign, this helps you out a little bit. It helps you out a lot because you don't have to be as attuned to the the metrics of your campaign. You can set it up, you can let it run and like you said, give Google the check and stand back okay. and
0: have And for seventy percent of people out there, but- that's a better scenario because they're probably not doing a great job. You know, we see it all the time where we take over a campaign that has been poorly managed. They're not putting in negative keywords, they're not doing the optimizations they should. Because I poorly
3: is- manage my campaigns is why I'm so upset about this. Is it's it's they're trying to take control away and they're not that good at it yet. They think they are, but they're not. Well, they, but you're, they're, they're not better than you and... no no but look they're, they're constantly suggesting terrible keywords to run on they're constantly suggesting terrible ad copy they think they have it down they don't have it down yet and they're slowly pulling away our ability to be as refined as we want with our budgets you, you mentioned the BERT rollout I'm fine with the BERT rollout I think that's great I think understanding the the purpose of a a query is is great do that organically not what i'm spending money well at least have i don't want to cut a check for what they think i should cut them a
0: check for
1: you at least have an off switch where you can say i understand the risks i'm doing this on my own free will i want this to be
0: managed yeah i think choice is the thing But again, the reality is the vast majority of the revenue they're going to generate is not from people like us, right, who are sophisticated in our ability to to manage a campaign. They want to go after, to Pete's point, the lowest common denominator, the average Joe who for years used to just write a check to the Yellow Pages, and and they just want to get that money. They want to be the conduit to supply business. And how that is done, what the secret sauce is, what that black box is, most the vast majority of businesses don't care about that but if you're if you're a sophisticated hotelier and you can outperform their current you know mediocre attempts to automate these campaigns you need to understand that this is where we're heading and and you need to prepare for it now and the best thing you can be doing we've talked about this we've done entire episodes on the fact that google is trying to control all of it You need to start diversifying. You need to invest heavily in first-party data. You need to invest heavily in diversifying your revenue streams and do it now before it's too late. Because if it gets to the point where Google has all the control, you're going to have no options. You're just going to have to write that check and smile.
1: And, and, And also, you've got to figure that Google changed the rules, but now we all know the rules. And you know, I feel that kind of poses question to you in our, our little chat group was, you know, what does that mean for negative keywording and you know, how can you beat this? How can you make sure that your campaigns are showing when you want them to and not just by, you know, Google's win?
3: Right. I mean, right now, until it gets deeper into the world that Stuart was describing, it is through negative keyword additions. Um, this, this still has to abide by your negative keyword list. Uh, and the other option is to have enormous keyword sets of exact match phrases, because uh, they still have to abide by that as well. Um, phrase was what we were using to to kind of grab searches that included the exact phrases that we want. And if somebody threw a couple words before or after, you no, know, our ad would still trigger. Um, now we just kind of have them thrown in the middle of our phrase, which it I I can't tell you how annoyed I am. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. But uh, I you know, I think stay like I said, stay on top of your negative keyword lists. Um, review your search terms reports as much as you have the ability to. See how long that lasts. Uh, and if if you feel like you're wasting money, you know just go full exact match but understand if you do that, you're probably gonna be missing out on quite a few queries. As we know, the typical search queries getting much more conversational and more words are being used inside of it.
0: Or just dump all your money in Bing, and you'll be fine.
3: (laughs) You know how how you can avoid this? Optimize your conversion rate on your website, and then you collect a bunch of first-party data. Wait,
1: Phil, tell me more.
0: <laughs> That's, an That's amazing our segment.
3: topic for today.
0: All right, so so obviously conversion rate is, is has always been important, but we're in some slim pickings times right now. And so you're going to be having to spend a little bit more money to attract guests because there's a lot lower demand. We've talked a lot on the show about being a hunter and not a gatherer, which means you've got to do more top-of-funnel advertising, which means probably spending a little bit more to attract people so second time now more than ever you need to make sure that everyone that comes to your website you are doing everything you can to give yourself the best possible chance of getting them to convert whatever that conversion is And that that could be just an email sign up It, it could be just getting them to the point where you're in their consideration set but ultimately we want them to convert all the way to the point of giving you money handing over the cash so Where do we want to start on this, guys? Do we want to talk about? um, I'm looking through your notes, Phil. Where do you want to start? How do I optimize my conversion rate? We want to talk about that in broad strokes. Yeah, Yeah, we can
3: we can kind of cruise through the the top of this. Uh, You can get more in the in the full blog post here, and we'll go into more detail. But really, you know, conversion rate optimization starts with understanding your funnel, understanding the the purpose of each page, the goal of each page and and how each page is contributing to eventually making someone a purchaser. Um, not every page is intended to generate a purchase. Some are intended to just continue someone down the path. But understanding the purpose of that page is is a key. Um, uh, kind of an aside to that is when when you're directing people to your site, making sure they land in the correct part of the funnel is, is essential too. we were just talking about paid ads. If you're, if you're paying for ads for two bedroom oceanfront condo, you don't want to send that person to your homepage. You want to send them to the part of the funnel they're, they're looking to fall in on your two bedroom oceanfront condo page. Um, and then, you know, again, what we're going to be talking about here is how to get someone from that two bedroom oceanfront condo page farther down the funnel, eventually making a purchase. So, all right.
0: Well, so I think let's take a pause there and kind of d- to break that down a little bit, right? So sure. I, th- I think the takeaways there are there isn't just one conversion funnel in your website. Right. There, there are multiple entry points. And I don't think we need to go any further back and, and define what a funnel is. I think for now, everyone that's in the marketing world understands what a funnel, but the way we kind of look at funnels is that they're, they're individual discrete things that all link together. So, so an individual um, consumer may have multiple intertwining funnels. And so making sure you understand each guest that comes, where they're coming, where their starting point is, and where you want their ending point to be. That's one discrete funnel. And what can you do to get them from point A to point B? And we talk a lot on this show about friction in the booking process. And there's a lot of f- friction that naturally occurs and hurdles that appear from getting someone from point A to point B. And so our job is to try to anticipate what the friction points are and try to eliminate the hurdles, try to, um, try, I'm going to use a physics analogy a little bit, and it sounds a bit bit weird, but if you, if you follow along, it, it kind of makes sense in the end. But if you figure what friction is in reality, right, it's when two objects are touching each other and they create a, a force between them that prevents motion. So the, the easiest way to think about that is a block, like a wooden block on top of a table. And if you try to push it, it doesn't just continue to move, it'll move proportionately to a couple of factors. One of those factors is the the uh, friction coefficient between the two surfaces. So you can change that by polishing the surfaces or, or adding a lubricant or something like that. But you can also improve uh, or reduce the friction by pushing harder, pushing the block faster, pushing it with more force. And so that's that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today is we're looking at improving conversion rate. We're really talking about reducing friction. And the two ways you can do that is by optimizing or by applying more pressure or what we call nudging people through that funnel with more force. So that's kind of how we're going to break it down as we're talking through this.
3: I like that analogy. That's awesome. All right. All um, right. So let's, let's kind of start talking about what you can do. So once you understand the funnel, you know, understanding that the conversion rate of a page may not always be a purchase. It could be increasing clicks to the next part of that funnel, um, you know, increasing clicks to another page. It could be generating phone calls. Um, we'll detail all that out later on. But the next step after that is going through your data. Uh, understanding what pages already convert really well and which pages don't really convert really well. Um, trying to figure out what's going on on those, on those pages that convert really well, can you take some of those elements and put them on the ones that don't? Um, and also say you have some really high traffic pages that don't convert very well. How do you take the, the visitors from that page? And get them to pages that do convert really well. Um, if if the the goal of the page isn't to um, p- put on new elements that that would make a conversion, so you know I, I think looking at it in terms of how do you how do you improve your poor converting pages, what's working on your top converting pages um, that you can you can shift that way.
1: Good, good, good. I would add that you want to make sure you're looking at the traffic to those pages as well. You know, if you look at this in a vacuum and say, Oh, wow, the, you know, so-and-so's wedding reception page had a phenomenal conversion rate I should optimized for that. Look at the value of the traffic to that page. You know, is it a, a very minute portion of your overall traffic? Because if it is, even though it has a opportunity for improvement or it's, it's a great example, you may not want to focus on it. Yeah, I think you want to balance that.
3: Well, I, I think I think the a a good example of this too, Pete is, let's say you have a blog post that really isn't geared towards direct bookings. Say it's you know the top fifteen breweries in your city, and that blog post gets a ton of traffic. Well, people who visit you know search for that and then visit your page and see your list aren't necessarily going to stay at your hotel, but there are ways that you can nudge them to a different piece of content that may eventually make them stay. So, good point. yeah, I mean, it's 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 looking at you know what are what are these high traffic pages uh, that don't convert well? How do how do I make them convert or how do I get that person farther down my funnel that to eventually make them a purchaser?
0: I and do I think it,
2: okay. jump in here if I can get two words in or maybe 10. Um, I want to distinguish between when you're saying what pages convert and what pages don't, if you're looking at it from a landing page standpoint is one thing, looking at a page as part of a path and looking at that conversion is a whole different ball of wax. With the first part, looking at it from a landing page standpoint, that data is much easier to get to than trying to look at it as, okay, I want to see what influence my amenities page is having on my overall conversion rate. And that's a whole topic for another day.
0: Yeah, yes. but I think yes. you're touching yes, on is. something really important there, Melissa, because and it kind of intertwines what the boys were just saying as well. So the con- conversion rate is tricky because we're not always looking for the sale. Sometimes the conversion rate is we have a goal in mind. So if you take um, the... The example that Phil gave about the brewery. So we know that the chances of that's a first date that we're probably not going to seal the deal, right? We're probably not going to get them to book from seeing that page. But we also may have knowledge that if people see how beautiful our rooms are, or if they know what amenities we have, and maybe they know, hey, we have a brewery package that gives people, you know, a growler from a local brewery or something, there's information that we can insert into the conversation at that point, that will greatly increase their chances of moving to a different funnel that has a higher percentage chance of um, converting. So if you know, for example, if you have an insight that your amenities page or your accommodations page is a, a big influencer in people ultimately staying with you, your conversion funnel for those blogs may be to try to get people to, to want to go and, and navigate to that page. So that that's how you need to think about it as you're looking at conversions and breaking these down into micro funnels along the way.
3: Awesome. All right, and and like I said, conversion, like Stuart said too, and conversions not always a purchase. Conversion can be pushing someone to the the next step or next funnel, and and I think that that kind of gets into the meat of you know conversion rate optimization, and that revolves around testing. So testing is the key to conversion rate optimization. It's definitely an iterative process and it requires goals. And we, we mentioned earlier, each page has a different goal. Is your goal purchase or is your goal pushing them to the next step of the funnel or a next funnel? So let's start with tests. Um, I think conversion rate optimization is uh, define the goal know what your goal is going to be, and then make a test. The test needs to happen one test at a time. Don't test a bunch of new items at once, because then you'll, you won't have an idea of what change you made that caused the results that you see. So one
0: test at a time. Amen. And, and I, I like to approach them with the scientific method where you, you start with a hypothesis, right? You start with a notion that if if this is changed, then it, it will have this impact. And, you know, so using a very simple example of that may be that, hey, the, the call to action or the color of this call to action or the verbiage on this call to action um, may impact the number of people that, that choose to click on it. And I know if I get more people to click on it, they're at the next stage, which is the funnel, and they're more likely to continue. Now, I think there's a couple of traps in that, right? Because some people look at just the step and say, okay, well, if I can get more people to click, then ultimately I'm going to end up with more revenue. That's not always the case. Sometimes you can qualify people one step, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily qualifying people further down the down the funnel. And sometimes it's the opposite. You may want to disqualify people earlier. But it, when you say test one thing, it doesn't necessarily mean only... Um, test one element, you can do a multivariate test within one test. But if the hypothesis is, I want to check this call to action and improve it, you could check the the, the color in the verbiage at one time, right? There's two variates within a test, but you want to test all combinations of that. The, the key, though, is, and I think where a lot of people struggle is, especially with an individual hotel, do you have enough audience to make the data statistically relevant? And so you got to make sure you're, you're limiting the scope of the variants if you are going to do more than one dimension of a test at a time.
1: Well, yeah, and that's that, what we've always seen is it, it's phenomenal when you, even us at times would say, hey, we should do this and this and this and this and create this crazy multivariate test. And you know, based on your volume of traffic, we'll get back to you in six months. You know, I, there, there's value in that, but there's also, I think to Phil's original point, Pick one thing that you can do. You want to test, and if you can get successful tests done more quickly, it gives you an opportunity to put other tests in behind it. You can't, yeah. don't think of it as a, a test as a a start and end point. Think of it as a, a start point and a a rest stop to the next step. You're yeah, always it's an
0: ongoing process for sure. Small yeah, iterative don't. tests are more impactful in the long term than big grand tests for sure.
2: And oh, also, multivariate. People are very confused by this terminology. Stuart, you explained it perfectly, where you're testing one element, but multiple parts of that element. So it could be the color and the verbiage and the size of a button, like all three things you're testing. But it doesn't mean that you're testing the color of the button and the intro copy and the hero image. That is not a multivariate test. That's a mess. That's what that
3: is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's Great funny. point. So, but, so I kind of broke this section down by tests, goals, and analysis. We talked about the tests. So, the goals kind of Stuart kind of explained as well. Have a goal in mind. Have a hypothesis. Have something you want to accomplish. So, once you establish that goal and the change you want to make, mm-hmm. make the change. Annotate that change within your analytics platform. In in the annotation, say what the specific change was and what you intended to accomplish. And then, obviously, we need to wait a, a, a ample amount of time to generate statistically significant data. And, it, and being that we're in the hotel industry, you once you have that statistically significant data, you also need to compare seasonality and recency. So comparing to previous period as well as previous year um, and, and kind of get an idea of did my test accomplish what my goal was so that's the analysis portion did we did we accomplish our goal Um, if if my goal was to uh, i want my my amenities page to drive people to my rooms page did did i get more people in the page flow report from amenities to rooms um that that would be that would be the accomplishment did it happen and then you also kind of need to look at unintended consequences. So, this is this is the caveat. Uh, did did you you kind of can't just look at that as the end all be all of um, uh, of the success? There could be unintended unintended consequences. Uh, I mean, like a copy change, you could see a page drop in rank for a particular keyword. You could see a click through rate. Decrease or increase? Um, if you're adding a, a large element to the page, imagery, video, did it impact page load speed negatively? Um, so look at look at multiple facets. But again, I think it's important to see if you accomplished your goal. But it's also important to see if you know maybe that hurts you in other ways or helped you in other ways.
0: I mean, I think any data. The, the mistake a lot of folks make is they look at you know, data points, KPIs in isolation. And, and our advice is always to look at things in context and, and consider the, the bigger picture. You know, a great, great um, example of this would be uh, several years ago, we had a client where their conversion rate on their website while they were doing a test dropped, and overall, right, in, on both both sides of the ab test the conversion rate was lower than it was prior to the test starting and and it ended up being that they generated a source of traffic that wasn't qualified while they were running the test and so if they didn't have the context of that they'd be they'd be confused because both the control group and their test group were showing Poorer results than they were previously, and it really had nothing to do with whether or not the test was performing. It was it's a consequence of some some external factors. So you've always got to look and see what's going on in context, and, and, and looking at multiple KPIs at the same time.
1: And on top of that, I would say understand that a irrelevant test is not a failure. I can't imagine. I can't even count the number of tests that we've run where the conversion rate didn't change by a 10th of a point. And that's not necessarily bad, it's just your understanding the elements that are not relevant to your ideal guests. But it gives you the tools to keep testing and testing because everyone throws out like, hey, you should test the, the blue button versus the green button. Well, in many cases, the guest doesn't actually care, but knowing that leads you to more refined tests down the road.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can learn something from every test, and and I think like that's why I say like use the scientific method because disproving a hypothesis is as valuable as proving a hypothesis. Sometimes, so just just follow the data. Don't don't get too emotionally invested in what you think is right. And I remember Melissa, you can talk more about this, but you used to send out tests regularly from that, that site that you which test one site.
2: Uh, in, we always in, got it wrong.
0: It, always, like your intuition isn't always accurate. You know, we, we sometimes overthink things, and you got to let the data dictate the results, not not just your gut. All right,
3: we can come into the very actionable takeaway section of this podcast.
0: Well, I, so, I can hear all the people screaming right now. We haven't had a list yet in this episode. There's been no numbers. <laughs> we like lists. This is why we tune in every week. It's not for the Tuzaroots jingle is not for Melissa's burn buttons, is for the, the n- numerical lists that we have on this show. So we aim to not disappoint too much, and so we got two whole numerical lists for you coming up.
3: Not just one, but two numerical lists. That's right. All right, so these are our conversion rate op- optimization tactics that we think you should start testing. So we'll start with page experience tactics. So these are things that you can do actually You know uh, with your site that that should in theory help conversion rate but again always test well Uh, one of these you probably don't need to test this this top one here you don't really need to test you just got to do it uh number one one, 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 (laughs) one, 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 one. make your pages load faster nothing kills conversion rate more than a slow page Uh, if people get to your page and it's it's not loading quickly or they're not able to interact with it they will leave you and they will go to a site like OTAs where they don't have that issue and they can book easily they can find their information easily so don't have that happen to you Uh, make sure your site is fast on both mobile and desktop do not send people away because you have a slow site that's not something you need to test. That's something you just need to do.
0: And this is especially important today, not just from a conversion rate perspective, but with you know the changes Google are making and how much importance they pay to load time now. This is critical. Let's um, throw out a tool. What, what would you recommend, guys, if someone wanted to check their page speed and see how they kind of stack up? What, what would be a good free tool for them to use?
3: Lighthouse and Google page Speed Insights, which is effectively the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah just if you just go to google and type in page speed insights you'll you'll find where you can just drop in your url and they'll tell you what you're doing well what you're doing badly and where you can improve so it's, and
3: there's, it's free there's another there. free tool called gt metrics um that it's m-e-t-r-i-x um, gt metrics also gives you some actionable items that you can change on the page that you know it has found that is slowing you down so there's two free tools right there you can yep. kind of put put in your
0: tool set yeah and like phil said don't test this one
1: i would also throw tools.pingdom.com i mean pingdom is a great service for kind of overall but their tool system is free and it does give you a very easy way to just jump in there and just kind of see what's happening yep
0: all right number two
3: make your calls to action more obvious so we, we find this all the time you know, we're talking to a client and they've you know been very familiar with their website for the past four or five years uh, they know exactly the path they should take um, they don't understand why other pe- people don't take the same path but i think that's the point right so it, it, you may know your site very well but your pr- prospective guest who hasn't actually visited your site may not find it as obvious as you so using things like uh, one probably one of the best tools out there right now um, and it's free. It's called Microsoft Clarity. Um, You can actually watch recordings of people interacting with your site. Um, You can, you can see where the roadblocks are, where they're getting caught up, what pages they're leaving on. Um, You can see the page flow, uh, the different things they click on, but using those, Actual recordings of people interacting with your site uh, can, can kind of show you where you might need to add a call to action or change your call to action a little bit. You know, something something like changing a text link into a thumb-friendly button may may, may do wonders for your conversion rate. So making the calls to action obvious by viewing how people are interacting with your site.
0: And a call to action doesn't have to be the you know, the book now, check availability kind of thing that you typically think of a call to action is. It, it can be whatever you want it to be to get people to the next step. A, a call to action could be a read more link. It could be a um, related articles link. There's a lot of ways. What your job is is to make sure that everyone can accomplish what they need to accomplish. And if they don't know what they need to accomplish, then you suggest it for them and give them a path forward. We, we did an episode a long time ago on uh, making sure that you're, there were no dead ends in your website. This is a great example of that where you can you can ensure that when someone ends ends up finishing reading a blog on your site, well, what next? You don't want the, the next option to be leaving your site and going back to Google where they started. You want it to be continuing into a funnel of yours. So your know, social media sites do a phenomenal job of this. Uh, sites like YouTube do a really good job of this. They're called actions at the end of a video. You know, by suggesting new related videos it, it gets you caught in that mousetrap you need to be thinking that way with your call to actions as well
3: yeah, they took a call to action and didn't even make you act they just started playing the next one <laughs> <laughs> all right so number three 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 so generally speaking we want you to reduce the number of steps required to make a purchase um but what I'm, what i'm referring to here is just things like auto-populating form fields with data you may already have about a guest, just reducing the inputs required, um, reducing the the data points you're asking for before a purchase. So just cutting that down as, is, is, you know, thin as it needs to be to get somebody to make the booking and gather the absolute necessary data. Remember, you can always ask for more, more data after the fact, but um, getting someone through to purchase as quickly and easily as possible uh, without making them do a ton of stuff, especially on mobile, that's that's super important reducing the steps required.
1: I mean, the way I look at it is people are happy to put the brakes on if it's going too fast, but they get extremely frustrated if you're going way too slow for them. Everyone is expecting an Amazon level of service of you find the product and you swipe and it's at your door in a day. That is the the metric by which we all have to be measured by and you want to focus on getting to that. And a lot of it is is programmatic where you just have to kind of task your development team to to make it happen or do the research so they understand what needs to happen. And once you do that, then a lot of that stuff kind of falls into place.
2: And this is why, I hate more than bounce rate when people use time on site or pages per visit as a KPI. I want to blow up those metrics. (laughs) Number one, they need nothing out of context. And number two, what is the goal? Do you actually want them to stay on the site longer? Does that mean what? What does that mean? Does it just mean it took them longer to find what you wanted them to find? Or did it actually push them down the conversion funnel? You don't know. Those metrics are completely useless unless you are a media website and your goal is to sell people ads. Just stop looking at them.
3: That's well, I what mean, it, it's all it's what talked about. It's all it's all about the goal. What's the goal of the page? You know, is, is your goal for them to consume all the content. Maybe time on site's great for that page, but it's not great for your home page where you're trying to push them into the next stage of the funnel.
0: Yeah. So when we when we were doing rebuilding our booking engine several years ago to, to be more mobile friendly and Really, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, how how can we streamline the process? How can we remove hurdles? And and there were a couple of quick things that we did that had massive impact. So so one was, we mm-hmm. did the auto address lookup, right? So you can start typing in an address, and it just pre-populates everything from it from a dropdown. Um, that that just made a big difference. The other thing is the credit card. You know, people don't like having to go pull out a credit card and and then they even more hate typing in their 16 entire characters in a date in a a CVV. So, you know, if you can implement something where you can take a photo of it or something like that, or or better yet, you can store their payment information in your PMS and you can charge the the card that they have on file just like the OTAs do, just like Amazon does. That, that, That kind of friction reduction can have a really big impact. Um, a a good one to touch on the a, okay, a complete
1: anecdotal ex- experience. I only purchase things on my phone at this point because it's so easy to say use credit card ending and blah 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 without having to find my wallet and plug that stuff in.
0: So take advantage of that.
2: And PayPal. PayPal's been oh boy, PayPal's been my friend lately.
0: Yeah, any any of those payment options. You know, Apple Pay is is another one. Um, Google has a solution. Amazon has a solution. The problem we have in the industry, as hotels, is most booking engines, including ours, don't aren't that compatible with a lot of those payment systems. We do have PayPal integration, but the limitation is on the PMS level. The PMS does not allow payments in those those forms. So, I, I think we have a technology hurdle that some folks are trying to solve. But I think it's it's long overdue in that industry. Um, I did want to touch on this one too. We said. You know, Phil said at the beginning, generally speaking, you want to reduce the number of steps. Now, there's a conventional wisdom that fewer clicks equals higher conversions. And, you know, although each click you are going to lose some people, there are some, some examples that we've seen where sometimes adding a step can actually improve the overall conversion rate. You may lose more people higher in the funnel you end up getting more people to convert ultimately down the line. And, and an example of that is that partnership with Flip2 where they have a product called Discovery. And what it does is it, it, it asks for an email address earlier in the funnel. It asks for it when you first start your, your search for, for the hotel. And so, yes, we see a lower conversion rate at that point from people getting from that step to the folks seeing rates. And so on the surface, if you were just doing a test and looking at does it get more people into the funnel, it would look like a failure. But then when you pull back and start looking at the overall conversion and ultimately what matters how many bookings you make, how much revenue you make, we actually find that it improves the the process overall if you are collecting an email address. Not only do the people that have bailed out earlier, they would have bailed out anyway because they weren't that interested, but you now have an email address where you can retarget people and get them back into the funnel through card abandonment and things like that so more steps sometimes can improve the overall conversion rate but you've got to approach it in a strategic way right Number.
3: creating open lines of communication so whether this is you know live chat or you know just simply adding a, a clickable phone number strategically throughout the site just just make it easy for your guests to contact you um, a good example of this that we've seen improve conversion, rate, um, adding the clickable phone number to a group or wedding reservation page. Uh, rather than making someone fill out an RFP, they, just, they wanted to ask questions um, and they got to ask their questions and they also got on the line with a very smart uh, reservation specialist. Who help them along down the funnel. So something like that, just adding a adding a phone number right next to your RFP form um, can can greatly improve conversion rates.
0: Yeah, and giving choice is always the best option because because yeah, you know, we use averages in, in our data a lot. You know, the average conversion, rate, the average person, the average whatever, and, and we're as guilty of that as anyone else. But at the end of the day, every guest is different. Every guest is individual, and everyone has their own preferences. So if you can, always, always give them the choice of how they transact with you, how they communicate with you, how they do business with you. That That's ultimately the best way to, to be hospitable and to serve everyone. All right. Number five, 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 five,
3: Anticipating the contextual questions and providing answers. So this is basically getting out in front of people's concerns and doubts that, you know, happen in certain parts of the fun. Um, great example of this, uh, when a guest is, starts their search, they're, they're caring about what they, their prerequisite checklist. So does your hotel have free Wi-Fi? Does it have free breakfast? Is the breakfast included? And that changes as they go farther down the funnel. So once they're closer to actually book, they're looking at things like, you know, is the site secure? Is, is their credit card secure? Can, can, can they give you all their information and feel good about it? So understanding the, the differences at different parts of the funnel and quelling those fears, doubts, and concerns uh, at those parts of the funnel are are huge so you know initially answer all the does this meet all my prerequisites and towards the end is this the safest place to book and, and the answer should be yes
0: yeah good exercise and we've mentioned this on the show before but to really an- anticipate what all the questions are that people have just go through a brainstorming session with your team if you have an agency or with your reservationist what are all the questions people ask currently that you've heard but then try to anticipate it from your perspective if you're booking a hotel room what are the questions that you would want to know the answer to in, and where are those, those questions relevant You know, and try to make sure that that content is one, created in a way that's easy to digest but two, appears contextually at the right points throughout the funnel and it's not that hard, I mean it could be in the form of you know, an FAQ for a lot of these where you just show, did you know, and, and just put in a little call-out at the right times. But then others are like, okay, well, people want to know whether I've got free Wi-Fi or people want to know what the bed configuration is when they're selecting a room. Well, how can I communicate them that, that to them as effectively as possible? It might be that I can develop some icons that indicate that stuff. You know, the OTA has done a phenomenal job of, of portraying a ton of information with very little real estate. If you go look at what they do with their icons, with their little call-outs and things like that, they do a phenomenal job. So just spend some time really thinking through what what are the questions that could prevent people from booking at this point or could prevent them from going further in the funnel. How can I answer that question at each point in the funnel? It has a massive impact. All right, so do we want to shift gears a little bit? And We talked about some of the kind of feature functionality stuff, but let's, let's let's talk about psychology, shall we?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's jump into some psychological tactics because no matter how technically astute you have your website and it's working as great as it can be, if you're not focusing on the entire other half of the coin, you're not going to have as good of a conversion rate as you can. So we've got a couple of item, items here that I think will really help. And the first one, 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 Creating that sense of urgency. So what you want to do here is just like you see in the OTAs, create that sense that the rate that you're seeing is the best rate that you can have. And you have to move right now because of either demand for the room that you're looking for or the price that you're looking to, to achieve.
2: Countdown timers on the site are really good for that. If you're running a sale, just to remind people that this is, you know, limited time offer is always good. We found countdown timers to be very effective.
0: Yeah, this is one of the oldest tactics in the book. Now, now as a consumer, be aware of this trap, because if you think (laughs) about every high-pressure sales scenario, they always, always apply this tactic of, of urgency any major scam, if someone's calling you out of the blue with some kind of unbelievable opportunity, you hear a lot of people recently where they're having to cash out money from a bank and put it into Amazon gift cards or something, and, and if you really stopped and thought about it, it's, it's ludicrous, but people are getting scammed because they make it so urgent, and, and when you're put under pressure as a human, you tend to do things that you probably wouldn't do without, so you know, as a consumer, this is not such a good thing, but as a, as someone trying to encourage people to book your hotel room it, it's good to know that this is an effective tactic that you can employ just do it ethically though you know don't do it in a way that's disingenuous Moving right, on. number two,
1: two, 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 incar- FOMO feels oh. <laughs> <laughs> back Phil okay
3: PLXs i'm not. sorry i'm back all right so fomo the fear of missing out like i feared I'm missing out the rest of this podcast um so this is really similar to creating a sense of urgency or just instilling that 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 doubt that they may miss whatever it is that, that you're offering. Um, we've applied this on our, our booking engine. you see it on OTAs as well where you you see things like only two rooms left for your dates. Um, and then people just have that that fear that you know hey, those rooms might not be available if I don't book it right now. Uh, they have that fear of missing out. So we know this works. It's proven to have worked. And you should, too, implement
0: this. I learned a new phrase this week, which I really like. FOMO is a mofo. <laughs> <Good job>. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Like, it, it'll get you every time. You know, this is why one of the reasons social media is so um, powerful with, with you know when you're marketing, because if you can show other people that, these these others your, your friends your family or even strangers are having a great time and you're not that 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 just tweaks you in a way that is irresistible you know it's kind of close to the number 3 we're going to talk about in a second but you know leveraging the fact that someone else might get something you don't that that will trigger people beyond belief to the point where they'll they'll be a lot more likely to pull the trigger
3: so true which leads to num- number Adding Adding reviews and images as social proof. So we've talked about this often. You've heard us talk about flip to um, embedding social media posts, like Stuart just mentioned, showing people having a great time. This uh, gives people that feeling of like, well, I too could have a great time. Um, uh, another thing that I mentioned here, show, showing reviews on your own website. We know people need to read reviews before they actually make a booking. Um, so housing those reviews on your own website rather than forcing somebody to go back to an OTA or, or TripAdvisor or anything like that just to just to read reviews, it's it's senseless. You're gonna you know reduce that number of people leaving the site by housing reviews by showing the social proof right there on your own site, ultimately improving your conversion rate.
0: And if you combine those first three, so, so you can you can do some really cool things within your booking engine, right? So if you imagine you had a vanilla booking engine where someone goes through the experience, they select a room and, and then they have the choice to book or not, that, that's Hotel A. Now picture Hotel B where throughout the process, the ans- they're getting answers to their questions. They see something that, that comes up with icons that shows that they have the free Wi-Fi. Then when they get to the rooms, they see, oh, 27 people have booked this specific room in the last 24 hours, and oh, by the way, we only have three units left, so you better hurry before you miss out. Oh, and we're running a limited time offer right now that that runs for the next 24 hours. So you're you're applying all of these in combination, and it creates this irresistible desire to to book, and uh, it, it's really, really, really powerful, and it's not that hard to do once you set it up to work, and so. This stuff works and we know it because we've employed most of this in our booking engine technology and we've seen tremendous conversion rates, especially on mobile, where this, this seems to have even more of an impact where people are a little more impulsive.
3: I feel like this is this is all kind of going back to what works in infomercials and why are infomercials so successful. They employ all of these tactics every single mm-hmm. time so well and it just works. And the right, next number, one would be uh, four, 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 four. four, 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 four.
2: But wait, there's more.
3: But wait, there's more. So yeah, the reinforcing value, um, making people understand that uh, there is value in their purchase. You're not you're not losing them to question, you know, losing them to another site or making them question their purchase decision. Uh, they feel really confident because they they know what you're providing is exactly what they want. Um, so as they're as they're booking, you're showing them all the different perks they get when they book with you, all of the discounts they're receiving by booking now, um, providing all of that right before they're about to submit their credit card information is you know, that that reinforces the value that will improve your conversion rate.
0: yeah, and this this is something you need to really pay attention to because especially now, more than ever, what was that four, three or four? I'm not sure. But now more than ever. That's definitely full. You have to focus on maximizing your revenue, right? There's going to be limited opportunity. The easy way to to try to generate demand is to lower your rate. But it's a zero-sum game. There are numerous case studies and studies out there in general that will show that your ADR will be crushed. And ultimately, you end up doing yourself a disservice and lowering your profit If you just discount rates, it doesn't generate demand, especially right now. But adding value is something that can really trigger people to booking, and that that can be in a myriad of ways, right? It could be adding food and beverage credits. If you have a um, like an arcade in the property, once COVID's kind of um, slowed down a bit, and those are open back up, and people aren't so fearful of touching stuff, giving away. Free game cards, things like that. That's something that we've seen have a massive impact on some of our clients. Look at our news group. Look at, at Wyndham. Wyndham yeah, offering that like over. Yeah. Exactly. Look at ways you can add value and you can differentiate yourself. And again, it's stuff that people will be willing to pay for is what defines differentiation. So if you can find stuff people would be willing to pay for and roll it in, you're going to end up with more guests... Making more money and everyone's happy, it's win-win. All
2: right. Last. Five, 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 five,
3: five, 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 five. Acknowledging and addressing fears. So now more than ever. Oh man.
0: I can't believe you used that cliche. It's terrible.
3: (laughs) We know people are afraid of everything right now. So just understanding that and trying to quell those fears as as best you can, talking talking to people. Know proactively and in, in a very reassuring way, um, showing them all of your cleaning procedures, about your your cancellation policies, and uh, just the the you know, general empathy and tactics that your your property is you know, taking at this time. Now more than ever, uh, yeah. it's 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 super important. And
1: here's why that's so important: is people are not going to spend their hard-earned money if they have a just a, a pinnacle fear that they can't get past. And luckily, we know right now in most cases that it's going to be COVID, it's going to be germs, it's going to be getting sick, things along those lines. If you can address many of those fears in advance, they're not going to go out and start searching for answers for quelling those fears. They're going to have it right in front of them, which is going to really reduce that amount of time between – Interest and conversion.
0: Yeah. So a lot of these tactics that we were talking about before were the ones that were applying pressure, right? So the the fear of missing out and urgency. That that is, if you think back to the beginning of the show where we talked about the wooden block on a table analogy, that's that's me pushing the block a little harder or with more force. What we're talking about here now is is the lubricant, right? It's it's creating more of a slick uh, differentiator between the two surfaces. This is removing hurdles. That, that are inevitably going to appear in front of someone. So if you can anticipate those hurdles, we know what most of those fears are. We can we can reduce or eliminate them completely by being proactive at at talking about it publicly in, in making sure we acknowledge what we're doing and mitigating in in a way to mitigate those fears. And and it's not just related to COVID. I mean fears might be related to budget. They might be related to security. They might, you know, there's a there's a lot of fears. Again, go through it with your team and brainstorm out what they might be and figure out line by line what can you say to reassure people that you, you're doing real things to prevent those fears from coming a reality. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like my website would convert better if I followed all of these, these this information that we just outlined in the past hour.
3: I think 100% of websites that follow this information would improve their conversion rate.
0: That, that is a great stat. It should be our beat boop stat, stat of the week. If only we had the proper beat boop and <laughs> Pete hadn't lost it. Pete, you lost your beat boops. What can I say? Did we lose Pete? Sounds we like lost we lost Pete, Pete. We lost no, Pete no, no, and lost you, his beat boop.
1: You did not lose me. I was on mute. Oh. But I'm back. Or I technically yeah. wasn't gone, but now I'm back.
0: Okay. Yeah, what back no, your the boops. your boops back. Yeah. Oh, that I was on mute? Yes. Yeah. Happened more than once during COVID, methinks.
1: So, So I don't know about yeah, you guys, but the people who have kids, do they just start screaming when we're starting to record podcasts?
0: Yeah, my, my kids did. Um, they, I have one child that I call, affectionately called Thunderfoot. Because he's the loudest person in the world wherever he walks. Like, I don't know how he produces so much downward energy. <laughs> but yeah, he starts stomping around as soon as I hit record.
1: Yeah, it's, well, it, it's, it's usually they know when I'm starting to record and everyone's super quiet, but then they all get bored, much like our listeners, I'm sure. That
0: <laughs> <laughs> listener's right now are stomping around and screaming. Probably so. <laughs> Well, if, if we didn't make you stomp around and the screen too much and you'd like to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate that if you want to go to Apple Podcasts. Or if you don't want to go to that effort, although it's not really in the grand scheme of things that much effort, but we understand you're a busy person, just shoot us an email. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us if we helped you. Tell us if we need to make improvements. We're, we're very open to feedback. So just shoot us a good old-fashioned email, info at com. If you want to learn more about Fuel, what we do, our amazing booking engine, our amazing frictionless booking engine, our website development, where we could optimize your website experience or all the other myriad of things that we do. Just hop on over to fueltravel.com. You can read all about it right there. And Melissa, if they want to learn more about you, have a conversation on LinkedIn about analytics or goats getting gotten, where can they do that?
2: Uh, As you mentioned, on LinkedIn, I'm at Melissa Cavanaugh or you can find me on Twitter at M-A-K-A-B-A-N-A-G-H.
1: And Pete? I'm pretty much exclusively at LinkedIn now, at Pete DiMaio, P-E-T-E-D-I-M-A-I-O.
0: And he means that literally. He's been uploaded to the World Wide Web, and that's where he resides now. He he no longer has corporeal form. (laughs) And Phil Fariska?
3: Yeah, I pretty much stopped checking my my Twitter, so LinkedIn works. Uh, Phil Fariska, uh,
0: F-O-R-I-S-K-A. Yeah, I can. I can tell you this. I've I've shut down any twenty four hour news info. I don't. I don't look at it at all anymore. And I I shut off Twitter. I don't read it anymore. And so, I'm I'm so much happier. So much more relaxed. I, stuff might be going on that it is, you know, horrible and horrific and would give me a lot of fear. But I don't know it. And so I'm happy. So it's good. Ignorance is
2: bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And if something really important happens, I hear it. You know. Indirectly from someone, anyway. So it's fine. I'm just going to stick to hospitality news and I'm happier.
2: Can I give a shout out to two of our podcast listeners that reached out to me on LinkedIn? Sure. Uh, Shout out to Alexandria and Mauricio. Both of them contacted me recently and said that they've been enjoying the podcast. So I just want to say, hey.
0: Cool. They're famous now. They're famous. The, 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 The Melissa Kavanaugh acknowledged them. On, on the number one hospitality industry marketing podcast. <laughs> They've
2: made me feel like a rock star, so I feel like I need to return the favor.
0: It, it is funny, right? Because we still kind of think of ourselves as, you know, a bunch of nerds that sit around, you know, almost like a campfire, although it's an electronic one, and just chit chat about stuff that we we enjoy and we want to share our knowledge with the world. And, and you know, we, we kind of forget. We're just, you know, we're regular people, but sometimes people come up to us and, you know, we've made a. I mean, to be fair, we've made a real difference in a lot of people's lives, especially during COVID. And so, when when people come with star starstruck eyes at us, it, it's it's very humbling, and very much appreciated. But it but it, at the same time, it's really surreal. So it's um, yeah, it's been a it's been a weird ride, but we enjoy it. So don't stop being fanatical about us, because because it does stroke our right ego as well. <laughs> well if you want to get the notes to today's show, go to fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode 177. Uh, again, if you want to reach out to us, info fueltravel.com is the best place to do it. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Smoke on the
1: water.